Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode 53, recorded on February 22nd, 2023. We all have to get from point A to point B every day, and that often involves different modes of transportation, from walking to biking to cars to commuter trains and anything else you can think of. However, none of these things is integrated. We have to adapt to changing conditions, territories, and regulations as we make our journey. But that's just the way life is, right? Well, what if someone could find ways to make personal travel easier and more efficient? If that idea strikes you as interesting, stick around. First, though, Locomobi CEO Grant Furlane has his tech news. So what have you got for us this week, Grant? Well, I think to start, only because it is the biggest news in the world, and it has a lot to do with the future of startups, which, of course, as we all know, is the future smart city and technology. That is the crash of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB. I I think that it's incredible. I think that... um, We've only seen the start. I think um, the repercussions of them, we already saw it with two other banks, but I, you know, with uh, First Republic and uh, Signature out of New York, but I think that it has a big effect on how everything goes on in the future as far as whether people want to admit it or not. It's what I've been saying forever, Alan, that we have this thing, it's called a recession that no one wants to call it that. So you can go ahead and fool yourselves but we got we got challenges here, and I think that um, this is the come on since last week it's the biggest news there is. Well, there is, and, and uh, today as we sit here, which is the what is the date today? It is the fifteenth. <laughs> we're talking about Credit Suisse and the problems that oh. they're having. Uh, and there Correct. are pro- there are, you know if these banks weren't sufficiently stress tested, or if they didn't have proper risk assessment officers in, on board, they made some really dumb investments when it came to. Uh, government bonds and yep. when interest rates go up and the bond rate they're is, screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. They're screwed. Yeah. But here's the funny part. Let me, let me, I think this is a good discussion. I think we should stay on for a minute. But here's the problem, Alan. The reason SVB did so well is they didn't have government regulations. Yes. They wouldn't be able to help me if they had regulations. They couldn't do a deal with Locomobile World or other startups. So they grew because they're able to do it. I think the problem wasn't whether they had regulations. It's a problem the regulars weren't watching what they were doing. In other words, you can bring in all the regs, but if you and I ignore them, what good are they? That's if, true. If the speed limit's 80, and I do 150, who cares if it's 80 if you're not going to stop me? So in this case, the regulators fail. When you start looking, when they started analyzing their balance sheets, you said, this is not correct. Because you know why? They were self-regulating. That's not their job. That's like self. That's like self-producing an album. It's usually a really bad idea because there's no one there to tell you no, or this isn't good enough. Start again. But there was. There was. They just didn't do it. There's a difference, right? Like in other words, there's regulations, but no one found them. That's why they're shut down. They found them. They found them after it was over. Like they only found them because they tried to raise more capital, and they go, "Oh, this isn't right." Well, of course it's not right, but. You were never looking at it. Why are they all saying now they know? They didn't know before. 
adding more do nothing if you don't follow them. And no one wants to say anything about that. Now, the reason you have the investment not coming into um, Swiss Bank is simply there are regulations there. And if he does more, he, he does not follow the regulations to take a bigger investment in that bank. Right. And because of now, but if no one got what he meant there is, oh, I can't do it now because I may get caught. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, um, all right. But anyhow, it's a big thing. And I think we'll be talking more about it maybe in the next show. Well, because, okay, here's what's going to happen. Okay. Is that we have, even though the government in the U.S. is going to backstop all the losses, fine. But uh, this is going to create a lot of hassle with a lot of tech companies because SVB was this very sexy bank that you had to do business with if you were in the Valley. It's now gone bust. And now you have all these engineers, a lot of whom are from, are on, on what, H-1B visas or whatever they're called? Yeah, contracts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's going to happen is that these companies are going to have to downsize. Which they means no that when they have no choice. So you have all these foreign workers with these H-1B visas They'll have 60 days to get to get a new job or get out of the country. So it's it's a huge mess. It's just started. It's just started. Again, you remember when COVID happened and was near the end? I said, no, no, it's just started, guys. What happened in COVID? We're going to see now. Now it's called a recession. Just like these things. We're just seeing the tip. So it'll be interesting. That's all. Okay. I mean, we'll work through it. You know, well, um, we all, you know, you know, Count on the Americans to create some sort of financial crisis of their own making. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Well, um, you know, and that was just news because we had to talk about it. Um, you probably don't have it yet because I don't. There's a new chip you can that's being developed that can mount it. It's a sensor that goes in your tooth. Your tooth. Uh, you can't see it. It's so small. And it measures spit. <laughs> okay. But, no, it's kind of cool, actually. Let me tell you what it does. Because it measures fit, it can test for over a, a thousand health conditions automatically. Hmm. So think of that. I think it's good, right? Because well, it, it is. Anytime you get some, you know, it's a health wearable. But I mean, yeah. um, I think it's pretty amazing. Um, simply because um, think of what it would do the healthcare industry if you diagnosed up to a thousand different health problems. With a simple chip. Now we know we know it's going to happen, Alan. It's going to be real expensive to start, but once if it works and works the way it was, I think it's one of the most amazing things that come out in a long time. Okay. And I I view it as a breakthrough. Okay. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, the rise and fall of where we are with EVs. So. So we know what happened with Tesla. They come out, they build the market. We know that everyone else has a car. We now know that the cars uh, with Chevrolet, um, with their new car, GMs, they're going to have a car under 30000 um, It looks like to me that the EV market is going to be decimated with low-cost, no-profit companies, mm-hmm. including Tesla. They started the price war. And then you put on top the fact, Alan, that, which I want. Oh, by the way, I'm in. I want an electric car. Um, the fact that they've now said there is absolutely no way they're going to have an infrastructure for these cars uh, for, for, for bat. Now I do agree that if in fact they come out with new battery technology, that means that I can leave my house and drive all day and who cares. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then I made a comment the other day and said, how come all the petrol stations aren't 
converting. And I didn't know this. They are. I didn't know this. So this is going to be a dilemma because on one side, we're saying, you know, regular cars, gas aspirated cars, engines are out. Okay. But they're not. So I would like to understand where you think on it. I, I assume you've ordered a new car and I, I bet you it's not electric. I could be wrong. Well, so. no, I haven't ordered one yet, but, <laughs> but this, this summer uh, will mark one year before my lease is up. So I there have to go. make, I have to make a decision in July about what to do with the car in July of 2024. And I know that my particular model is not going to be internal combustion the next, uh, in 2025 when I need a new car or yeah, in 2024 when I need a new car. So I either stick with this particular model and go all EV or I change models or brands. See, I want to go EV, but um, I, I'm in. Alan, you've, they've sold me. But I don't think it works yet. I don't think, we, I don't think we're there. I, I don't, I don't I think, think so. What Alan thinks. Certainly I mean, not, not, not in Canada. I mean, our, our, our charging infrastructure is, is not very good. I mean, you could drive from Windsor to Quebec City and you'd be okay, but you don't have the superchargers everywhere that you need them. Uh, until it gets cold. Until it gets cold. And, and then it gets worse. And then it gets worse because batteries don't hold a charge when they're cold. No, and, and you're right. So I'd love to hear other people say because I think it's the biggest dilemma there is. As far as transportation, we're, we're all sold. I'm sold. Um, and I'm look, by the way, I've looked at tons of EVs. I think they're pretty cool. I'm worried that they're not ready. I will be happy when we get a reliable battery that can take me 600 kilometers without having range anxiety. I'd be very happy with that. I think you're going to get that. I believe that's coming. I believe that the time you order, that'll be a standard. So I've got good news for you. That happens. But who survives this? When you start saying, all of a sudden, the car that I sell for 70 is going to be 30. Hello? And does that help anyone? Like even you and I who want cheap cars, but do we want all these automakers just bleeding because that's the price you have to be to get to sell an electric car and help the environment? Yeah, we don't need, we do not need a race to the bottom in terms of prices and quality and reliability. We, we don't. It just, I hope not. No. You know what's going to happen, right? Tesla, what had three price cuts this month? Yes. Why don't do that? Like, and then what? Then they get a response, and now everyone's price cutting down. I don't see a winner here. Even the consumer isn't because they get the car won't work. <laughs> maybe the model is Apple. You know, you don't cut prices for no one. There you go. There you go. Yeah, maybe it opens up a whole new world. I don't know, but I think it's a big one we got to think about. Arif Rafiq works for a company called Esri. It's a Canadian outfit that believes geography is critical to decision-making. Arif is an expert on the digital systems that manage roads, highways, and public transit infrastructure, things that, unfortunately, often do not talk to each other. But what if they did? What if there was some way to incorporate all the data and analytics from the ways we move? Could this make our roads safer, more secure, more reliable, and sustainable? Absolutely. We found Eric in his office in Toronto. Explain to me what we're talking about here. It's it's I have this 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 thing in front of me beyond the buzzwords. What does this mean? Beyond the buzzwords. I think it, it, okay. The the word smart city, digital twin. To me, these are buzzwords. 
but I think I think I think what we want to talk about today is is, is looking beyond uh you know, beyond that buzzword, beyond, beyond this, this facade that, you know, tends to hide what the real magic is behind these things. It, this is a good time for doing this because I saw something in the paper the other day. I was coming back from the UK and there was this big uh, story about these phrases that we need to abolish from our English language. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, think outside the box. Oh, um, don't even start with that one. All that sort of stuff. So I am all for getting rid of buzzwords. I'm all for getting rid of jargon. I am, I just want things to be easily understood. Yeah, I mean, we've gone from the big buzzword of the internet to the next buzzword of IoT, and then we get on to um, buzzwords like smart city, artificial AI, chatbots, the big one now. Um, so I think we'll probably blend all those into this conversation anyhow uh, with, the, with um, talking about smart city today and diving into what it really is. Okay. Let's go ahead, please. Let's destroy some buzzwords. I love it. <laughs> the buzzword. Let's let's start with 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 smart city. I mean, smart city is one of my favorite buzzwords. It's one of the things that I do in in my day to day life. But um, it, are we really making cities smart? Are we making people smart? What are we actually doing here? You know, it's and and the idea of a smart city is so much more than technology. It's got a lot more to do with that. And I think I think I think we can start peeling back those layers. Okay, let's let's do that. I mean, one of the things that's been in the news lately has been this 15 minute city controversy where people in Edmonton are, are protesting that we're going to lock people in their neighborhoods and not let them out. Yeah, they don't even know what it is, Alan. They have no idea what's going on. So so let's let's explore this even further. I don't know what's happening in Edmonton. <laughs> oh, oh, no, you haven't heard that? Okay, well, no, they, have I a, <laughs> they have this new master plan where they're, you know, Edmonton's got, a, yeah, uh, Edmonton's got a lot of space. People are spread out. They want to increase density. They want to make it different, uh, easier for people to, to live their lives within a 15-minute walk of where they actually live. Well, so you know, than, they've expanded the jargon now to 20 minutes. Okay, fine, 20 minutes. No, no, and not are, that one. But the real one, like the one we're talking about all around the world, it's now 20 minutes because they figured out it won't work with 15 minutes. Well, fine. 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. Grant, let me, let me finish what's going on here. There are some conspiracy theorists who believe that this 15 or 20 minute city is an attempt to block people from moving outside the existing neighborhood in which they live. And that way they can control their lives. Uh, they'll have, uh, you know, cryptocurrency that will... Stop working if you go outside this 15-minute barrier. It'll, uh, you won't be able to drive your car. You won't be all these things. So it's, it's, it's insane. So um, let's not even consider that because that's a smart city thing that, that is just silly. I think let's go back to what we're talking about is let's peel it back and talk about why smart city is not just technology, which, by the way, I agree 100%. It's so many things. Um, it could ju- it's, it's really some pretty simple stuff, but let's, let's, let's start there again. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd like, you know, and, okay, so w- I think we all live in the technology space, and there's thousands, tens of thousands of companies out there. And one of the best ways, or at least maybe not today, but a few years ago, one of the best ways to try to attract attention was to say, hey, I got a smart city solution. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to go make a lot of cash, and people are going to buy this, right? And, and that happened. To a big degree, there's lots of smart city solutions out there, and and in my world, one of the things that I've noticed is that they don't actually talk to one another. You know, they work 
probably okay in their own in their own silo. You know, we call it a business silo, but in their own kind of you know uh, isolated sphere. But the moment it has to start to interact with something else that exists in that city, with the community, with another application, with another system, with another environment, to try to actually have some some real business, you know, some real powerful outcome, it. It, it, it falls down. They don't communicate with one another. And so is that smart or is that just new tech? It's a bunch of new tech fighting with, you, with each other for a supremacy. Or well, for a I mean, it does talk to why a lot of people scaled back the name, and I think it's good, to first smart building. Which that's, you know, we can all, not all do it, but we get that. And then it's smart community. And most of the people I've talked with in today's world, and we have 60 or 70 smart buildings and communities that we're in. Um, they, they won't go beyond the community. They won't make that word smart city. I mean, I've been corrected. Grant, say smart community. Why? Because smart city, it's a lot. And so um, I, I do understand that. And I think he's right. I think that um, uh, the smart building has always been around. I mean, big companies before, little guys like us and big ones like yours, um, were doing it. I mean, whether it be a Siemens controller to an energy manager, but now we have smart buildings. Um, in some cases, probably most of it is just bells and whistles. And and I think that's the problem right there, right? Because, yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I think there's certainly a lot of great examples of smart technology, smart cities, smart transfer. There's a lot of that out there. But there's also a lot of failed technologies and the bells and whistles. And it's unbelievably obvious to people. And, and right there, I think, lies the problem because when it becomes obvious that, oh, it's just another smart city tech, it's just another thing that we're going to see on the market, suddenly the general public starts to lose their confidence in the term smart city. And that's what makes it dazed. And that's what makes everyone jaded about it. So when there really is a smart city technology that truly promises to do something good, ah, whatever. I've got washed away. I'm not yeah. interested. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will admit that when somebody says, I have this new smart city solution, my eyes kind of glaze over because, you know, been there, done that, heard that. So I guess what I'm asking is, you know, what is what is our purpose here? We're, we're, we're peeling back the buzzwords well, I think we have to talk a bit about what they do, because, it, I mean, how does he get that information of what we should be doing? And and uh, I know you didn't, we didn't talk in the beginning, but uh, I know you work for like this mega company that has lots of employees. And I always tell people like, there's so many companies that are incredibly cool, but I don't, I don't know them. And this is one of them. This is one that they sit behind everywhere and do a whole bunch of stuff. And so I would think that, you're influenced by what you see. Maybe what we should do is back up here. Okay. Explain who you are and what you're doing and why Grant invited you on the podcast. How's that? Absolutely. Why don't we do that? So <laughs> my, my name is Arif Rafiq. <laughs> That's the formal introduction. No. And and I my job here is I, I lead the transportation business for Esri. And, and what that means, yeah, you know, Grant, you said it right. Esri's, it, it is a giant company. It's a big company. It's global. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I think I've, I've heard the president say one time, I don't quote me on this. I may have been misquoting it, but you know, he said, we're the, one of the biggest companies that nobody's ever heard of. Um, <laughs> because, because yeah, we, we're prevalent everywhere. If you think about all the municipalities, let's, 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 let's keep the scope within Canada. You know, we're all Canadians. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. If, if we talk about Canada, you look at all the municipalities in Canada, it's a, it's a, it's a very good chance that the, that municipality uses as technology in some capacity. All like, 
I won't say all, but the majority of them. And that's yeah. the same thing with provinces, uh, you know, ministries, every little single ministry in the country, even a federal government. So we seem to be everywhere, but you're right. Like, what the heck is it that we do, right? We're, we're in the back end and uh, we're, we're a geospatial company. But rather than talking about what Esri does, perhaps I think it might be more interesting to talk about what I'm doing as part of Esri. And, sure. Sure. And I'm I'm on a mission to make transportation transparent. I think I think I was thinking about what my mission is, and 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 I and it's hard for me to get any more simpler than that. Now, of course, I need some clarification, of course, right? But but the way I can describe it is, you know, we many of us live in urban environments, and in these urban environments, you know, we often have a lot of choice about how we get from A to B. And especially in the last five to 10 years, that choice has magnified incredibly. Like there's so many more options more than just taking your car or or transit. You know, we can uh, get a scooter, we can get a ride share, we can choose to get on a bike. There's lots of different options out there. And, And I think those are steps towards full transparency of transportation. But I think the ultimate goal here is I don't want to have to make a modal decision when I just want to get from A to B. I don't have to want to think about, is that scooter going to be available? Am I going to be able to get an Uber, you know, in the 10 minutes that I have? Am I, is, is, is there going to be an accident on the freeway that's going to prevent my access from a car? Is the, is the bus ride going to be unsafe? There's a lot of questions that many of us go through when we start to plan a trip. And I think the ultimate goal is we don't want to have those questions. We just simply want to do, we just simply want to go and get there. And I think that to me is the epitome of, of, a, of an ideal transportation system. Lots of steps to get there, of course. And I think a lot of them have to do with, with the content of a smart city and a digital twin. And I'm sure we're going to start peeling back those layers, but I think th- th- that's my guiding light. That's where I want to get to. Yeah. And I, and I by the way, um, I agree. Um, and um a company like yours is a, is lucky to be able to probably take that vision a lot quicker than than smaller ones. But um, you know, we've always been, as you know, I've been in the business. I started the World Transportation Association with three of the members. Now it's got ten thousand. So when I was talking about it, there was no one in this business. Not you guys, nobody. Okay. And today, I've always been saying to everybody that it's about your journey. The minute you leave your home, I should go there uninterrupted, pointed everywhere, and just get there. Um, and you're right. No one wants to do that. They want to be the piece that works for them. Well, and to so, be honest, I, yeah. I've never really even thought about this because if I'm me personally, if I need to go somewhere, I go into my garage, there's my car, I back it out of the driveway and I go to where I want to go. And you, gets- and you encounter all the things you do because you haven't planned that journey or planned it for you. Well, this this is true. I don't know necessarily what's going to happen on the highway into into the city. I don't know if there is going to be a, you know a weather event that's going to screw things up. I don't know if my connecting mode of transportation, whether it be a train or an airplane or whatever, is is still on time. All those things. So, what do you propose? How how does this work then? Well, and and that's that's a challenge. I, I don't I, w- I don't I don't want to claim that I have the answer. Of course not. I think that this guiding principle is a w- it, it helps us understand where we're trying to get to. But a lot of the smart city technologies that we were talking about earlier, you know, a lot of them can promise to make that 
journey less painful or more transparent or more integrated. That's another word that I think we like to say, but, but it's quite meaningful. And, and there's, there's a lot of buzz these days about trying to purchase a ticket. So, so, so Alan, you talked about getting into your car and I, and I appreciate that. Um, but if everyone had that option of getting into their car, then we'd be in total gridlock if everyone had a car. Like it's just not feasible for everyone to be able to do that. So the best way uh, for this to happen is to have a mix of transportation modes. And when you have a mix, inevitably, you're going to have some situations where there's lots of unknowns and, and stress about making that journey. So, you know, we talk about integrated transportation. And, and one idea is, well, um, if I'm at point A, and I need to get to point B, that journey may require me to walk part of the way, it might me, me, mean that I have to get in a car, it might mean that I have to get on a train or a bus or maybe even a plane. But there's often multiple modes of transport that I might need to take in order to take that journey. And the idea of integrated transportation is, well, it's all seamless. You know, perhaps I buy one ticket and I make the entire journey together. And there are smart city technologies today that do just that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100% because I just came back from a trip to the UK, a business trip, that involved me going from London to Glasgow to Liverpool to Manchester to London, all in the space of five days. And involved were planes, various trains, various taxis, and various <laughs> need, uh, we had to walk from place to place. And none of it was integrated. We had to, you know, buy a ticket for the airplane. We had to buy a ticket for the train. We had to, you know, pay each individual cab. We had to wait for each cab or Uber driver to come uh, and, and so on. So I'm, it, it, how do you integrate this with, with an app, with, with um, shared technologies? What? Well, I think that's the trend right now, right? Is, is try to build the app that does it all. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there who are trying to own the space and say, I will provide or we will provide an integrated experience for passengers on their journey and we're going to get you from A to B entirely. And I think that's a possibility. Sure, it is. It should be the goal. Well, yeah, but, but the world's a big place. There's always going to be multiple players, right? There's companies opening yeah. up every single day about this. If you so, use an open architecture, um, then being from the computer science side, it can be done. Oh, there you um, go. You, the open architecture, uh, particularly with the inventation of AI, and I'm talking AI, you know, like my, co- my co-founder invented, was the one inventor of AI. So I, I know a bit about it. Um, and if you use it correctly, um, it has a lot of possibilities. Yeah, but there, I hate to say it, they're possibilities. Um, yeah. But they can be done. Um, you know, we'll see, but I mean, they can be done. And then I think, I think, Grant, that's leading into, you know, what, at least the way I perceive a, a possible outcome to be. And, and there's a, there's a word there used, it's, it's shared, right? And if we have a shared environment where an open architecture might be another way to say it too, but if we had a shared environment where one mobility provider's vision of the world is the same or at one with a different mobility provider's vision of the world, right? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was uh, in San Diego. Um, this was, I think, last summer. And I've never used one of those electric scooters. I've heard about it, right? I get irritated when I'm walking on a sidewalk and someone whizzes by me. So I, but I've, I've been intrigued. I've always wanted to try one of these, these little scooters. And so I was in San Diego and, uh, and I got out of my hotel. I was right downtown and I said, I'm going to do one. I had, I had some time. So I, I went online. I found myself an app 
And immediately I'm like, let's find the closest scooter. So I did it. And right away, I noticed there's no scooters around me because around the hotel, there's this red zone that says, you know, you cannot drive scooters in this area. They've defined a no scooter zone. I said, okay, fine. So I went and found the nearest scooter, which was, I wasn't far, maybe about a hundred meter walk or so. So I found one, got on, uh, you know, did the app, got it all registered and everything ready to go. And then I went onto my my phone and it says, hey, by the way, don't ride on the sidewalk. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense because I get irritated when I see scooters riding. Well, they all out of here, so. Yeah, it happens everywhere. So, okay, I'm not going to ride on the sidewalk. Fine, no problem. So where am I going to ride? The streets of downtown San Diego are quite, kind of tight, right? There's, there's, uh, there's uh, cars everywhere. There's people. There are some bike lanes, not a lot, right? And where I happened to pick up that scooter, there wasn't a bike lane there. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to ride beside cars now. And then occasionally I'll find a bike lane and I'll use it and, and, and I'll get to another spot where there's no bike lane. And, and, you know, maybe I have to get on the sidewalk or maybe there's a dirt or the, the road is all busted up. But none of that information was available to me as the user of that of that micromobility device. And because it wasn't available to me, that means it wasn't available to the providers of that service either. They couldn't take that and make it available to their passengers. Now, what if they could, right? What if there was a way that that micromobility provider had the ability to put into their app, here's all the broken roads, here's where all the cyclist uh, paths are, here's where all the, all the sidewalks are, here's where everything is. And a view of the infrastructure that is made available to you. Now you go and use it as you will, but we're providing you the information. Well, the reason they can't do that is because there's no common view of that infrastructure. The city of San Diego has a street network. They got that. They have some bike now. They have some bike lanes, but you know, good luck if they know where they are. Do they have it on a map? I don't know. It's probably sporadic. I really don't know about the, the way city of San Diego manages their bike network, but I'm speaking for cities just in general, right? There might be a cycling map available, but it's a view and it's completely disconnected from the street map. It's completely disconnected from the trail network that's often owned by the parks and recs group. There's all these different groups that all own their piece of the transportation network. And I think that is part of the problem. Well, the, the bigger problem is uh, you're not gonna like this part. So there are maps, tons of them. There's private maps and public maps and they're biking maps for people who have scooters and bikes and all that, but no one wants to share them. Exactly, I know. The city? I don't think so, okay. Um, so you have all these cities who don't wanna share it and I can't, I don't want to point fingers because I deal with cities and so do you. But the point is they don't share it, okay? I, I, they have their own bureaucracy that says that. Um, and that can go provincially, that can go regionally, that can go county. It doesn't matter. It can go in a block in a community. People don't want to share the technology because you said something interesting. They want to be the technology. And when you want to be the technology, that's where it falls apart and saying, I can be part of the technology. So what you're saying is that they're looking at things from the technological point of view and not from the view of the consumer. That's Alan, that's a good way to put it. Is we said that um, the problem you have is it's not all about technology. And, and it's true. You know what? We got a lot of smart guys that can build anything. But they're not the same guys that can make it all work. And I say work as far as I'm talking about a working environment. And I got to tell you guys, smart cities could be as little as some guy figured out where to put the garbage can better. I mean, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not what you're thinking. You know, so on the technology side, Alan, we've got all this tech and there's so much. It's true. There's tech overload. And is it true that customers go, oh, God, I, that's just talk. Yeah, it is. And I'll tell you why it is, though. 
the people who won't listen and fail ruin it for everybody else. Because when you fail over and over, and listen, you fail. That's what we do when we invent stuff. But when you fail, after a while, it becomes the industry that failed. And now we're back to trying to fight with each other again. So we, like we've been saying this whole thing is there has to be an agnostic way to do this. Okay, Arif, what's, what's your solution then? If you've got all these different parties with all these specific interests, how do you get them to play nice together? Well, there's one, and there's one thing that I would disagree with Grant's yeah. comment, right? Yeah. I think that majority of private industry out there, yeah, they, they certainly want to be the technology. They want to own it. No doubt. I, I agree with that. But I don't agree that cities don't want to share it. I think that governments, municipal governments, provincial governments, I think they do want to share it. I think they do want to have an environment where somebody, the general public, anybody, uh, autonomous vehicles, it doesn't matter what it is, a machine or a human being can go in and say, oh, I understand the infrastructure that I have available. I think they do want to share it. I think there's other problems that get in the way of sharing it. Well, that's what it is, though. Yeah. You see, okay, so, uh, you know, I've, I've done lots of cities for my whole life and airports and so on. Every case, it's not the people I was dealing with that didn't want to share it. I'll give you an example. We're doing a big city that we can't, we're, we're not in blackout. We're computerizing a whole city, the first one in the world, with all the curbside and parking and counting and everything. We had to wait three weeks because they couldn't start it till they press released it through council. Now, that's not sharing, okay? So when I say ability is there's a bureaucracy that you must follow to do things. Where us in private business, we can do it off the hip if we want to. Now, I will say one thing that, that, that is very important. When I said municipalities wouldn't share, I didn't say they don't want to share. And number two, I will say, in the past year, municipalities have changed. They have young people coming in now, and I'm not one of those, obviously, <laughs> um, who think. And they're thinkers, and th you know, they want to do something really well. But I'll tell you what's different with the new city people that I see. They also care about the environment. They care about social issues. Man, when I started out, was how much was the stuff put in? If it works, great. Now there's all these other factors to make them a good city. It's not just a bunch of technology. So, I mean, and then, of course, you know, then there's the other side, which, you know, we can talk about your pride more than X and I am, but you make your decision based on analytics. We didn't 10 years ago. We guessed. Okay. So if you're doing all this great stuff, uh, I mean, and again, I'm looking at a company that really does it and knows all these things through the mapping systems and all that, you can roll out a more meaningful transportation option because you understand the analytics of some of the stuff. Okay, I'm gonna come back to the question. Okay. Arif, what is it that you do? How do you make this work? <laughs> We've defined the problem and it's, it's a big problem, well, it's, it's a complicated a problem. problem. It's like when he's like asking you to cure cancer. Okay, it is. Uh, so, well, the, the, well, that's the thing. I, I do see a path forward, right? It's not an easy path forward, but I've absolutely well, not, right? But I do see a path forward, and 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 that path forward that I see has to do with something that I mentioned earlier about all these different government organizations who hang on to their own perspective of the infrastructure, and they own that now. 
you know, while you were talking, Grant, I was thinking about uh, uh, what are some of the challenges as to why they cannot share it, why they can't get to this, you know, place where they can start to say, hey, you know, you have the trail network, you've got the transit network, you've got the rail network. Why don't we all just make it available in one Maybe big nice. package yeah. and, and everyone can consume from this, right? And, and I was thinking, I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons as to why that is, but one of the questions is, do you think that the reason or one of the reasons they don't, sh- they don't share it is because they're trying to chase perfection? Given all of these fancy analytics that we have today and the ability to make sure that everything is perfect, do you think they're chasing that perfection or are they okay releasing something that might be not good enough? Well, I mean, if you're a city person, they have that saying, right? You never got fired for hiring IBM. Probably the same thing to hire your company, they never get fired. Hire me, they're taking a chance because I'm crazy and all that stuff. But the, the, yeah, I think that the perfection has to happen. Because they have to produce. Remember, guys, if Meritori, the former Meritori, said tomorrow, I'm building a smart city and it fails, he may lose the next election. So, guys, there is other factors. And I'll give you an example. A city I can't talk about on this podcast, we're doing a beta, first and of its kind, and we have robots and all that. I said we couldn't do it. They said, why? Because I said, I know the bylaws. I mean, You've got provincial bot. And then they said, oh, we'll change those. I go, what? Mm-hmm. So I've never heard that before. So you have these people saying, we can affect change. And we will get along. We will go to them and do this. When the license plates came out last year, the fiasco and not being able to read the license plates, they went out and made plates without even testing them. That was a political decision, Okay. I remember it because that's what I do, okay? And we didn't have a problem with this place, by the way. But they had that. Why? They didn't come to us. Hi, Honeywell, or whoever. I think they made the screening for the plates and the metal. And and they went out. And what did they do? They pulled them all back in. Why? It's not that they don't want to share. It's the political steps they take to do things. And is everyone in the same room? They're not in the same room. (laughs) They're not. But but is it is it wrong to make mistakes, or isn't that how we grow? Isn't that how we evolve? Right. Absolutely. But you listen. You, you said why don't you know? Alan said they or, or you know, do they want to be perfect? Well, my point is, if they want that, then you have to make the effort to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. So in other words, if you're going to do that, oh, there's ten companies that do this. Let's talk to them. Oh, we want to do that. Do we? Well, okay. So I'm gonna lay it out to you right now. I'm a pro-Canadian technology guy. Okay, I bought Silicon Valley company and brought them back here, not the other way. I'm pro So if you're going to do stuff, talk to us. You know, talk to us. Um, talk to you guys. Let's make sure that when we make that decision, it doesn't mean we even have to get along. That we have the information. I believe a lot of that is political. It is not that we can't give information. That's what I meant. Okay. And that's, and that's fair. I like political decisions, all of these things certainly get in the way. But when it comes to something as clear as the digital twin, I'm going to use that word now, as a digital twin of our transportation infrastructure, here's a road, here's a bike path, here's a trail. 
right? We can make some decisions as to there it is. It's somewhere on the planet and we have the technology now to be able to very accurately place that thing wherever that may be. We also have the technology to be able to share that with just about anybody who wants access to that. So why do you feel that we have to have different versions of that representation. And this goes back to Alan, what you had asked me, what am I up to? What is my, what am I trying to do here? And I'm trying to unify those so that our governments, our, our people can start sharing. How are you trying to unify? Yeah. Like, I mean, I have conferences. And okay. We do okay. Well, well, no, let, let, let's put it this way. The, that infrastructure is public infrastructure. Yes. We all as Canadians pay for yeah. that through our taxes, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it belongs to the public and we, and our governments are tasked with maintaining those, building them, constructing them, doing all that sort of stuff, right? So if they're the ones, if they're the stewards of maintaining that infrastructure, should they not also be the stewards of the digital information that represents that infrastructure yes. as yeah. opposed to some auto company who owns the information about the roads because their vehicles are going around and collecting information about the roads and they turn around and try to sell it, right? I think that's an appropriate way to make business. Why not? But you're asking about how. And I think if if our public infrastructure was in the hands of the public and the, the stewards of that infrastructure also are the data stewards of the digital infrastructure, then that's a path forward. So you are a diplomat. You are going to these various levels of government, these various community groups, whatever we want to call them, and trying to bring them all together so that they all work and play nice together? Is that what you're doing? And there's a mix of technology and human element that all makes it work. Because it's not just about tech, right? We all have to learn to be able to play together. Um, so uh, this brings me up to uh, back to the smart city um, and whatever we want to call it, the buzzword, community, health, whatever. Um, where do you see the, the, the first areas that you can really make an, an impact? Because you know that um, you, you, need, you need everyone to be on the team. Um, what is, in your mind, I mean, and, and we all may have different opinions. Uh, where do you see it being best to go attack first? Well, where have you attacked first? I shouldn't say that. Uh, no. Yeah, and, and, and there's no shortage of, of targets to attack first, I think. But Here's one area that I think is, is, is very young and it's rapidly evolving, which makes it, it's, it's, it's fluid. Like this, this industry that I'm about to mention is quite fluid and a lot of the rules around this industry is also fluid. So it's, it's a good opportunity to try to shape it. And that industry I'm talking about is the connected and autonomous vehicle industry, right? When you have a, an autonomous or a connected vehicle out there, and it needs to understand its surroundings. That's a fact. It needs to know where it's going. It needs to see in front of it, see behind it. And today, a lot of the way that's done is with cameras and sensors on the vehicles. But there is an opportunity for that vehicle or human, whatever we have it, to be able to make a query and inquiry about where am I? What, what type of infrastructure is around me? Sounds familiar, Alan. Okay. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's I a, agree. I agree. By it, the way. Wait, wait. It's a Yelp for transportation. Sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is if I'm, you know, with with Yelp, no, for example. Right. So, so it it's like it's almost like we're we're what we're doing is doing. It's like it's it's kind of like blockchain. 
Um, you're getting in there and has all these connections that connect you and tell you. Um, you might have to voice it, but sure, don't have to do anything else, okay? Um, and the logistics of that makes total sense. Now, Alan, we spent the day debuting our electric car at the car show with uh, Project Arrow. And we had those discussions yesterday in our podcast that we taped. Um, and we um, discussed all these types of things that, it's funny you just said that. Okay, so here's what came out. Project Arrow, no doubt, was the showcase of the, of the show, okay? Um, and, but exact thing was said, we have to go way beyond the car. We have to go way beyond. Now that's what we were hired by the way. But, but the point is we have to go way behind the car because if you walk in this car show, there's 60 different models now of the EVs. So, and they're all going to be autonomous. They're either three going to three and hopefully four and so on. But in the end, they're just cars. They're glorified, incredible robots. So how do we connect them all? Yeah, I agree. They're, how do we connect them all? But more importantly than they're just cars, they are cars operating in a shared space. Yes. Yep. Agreed. Right? Agreed. And, and in that shared space, not everybody is autonomous. Not everyone is fancy. Some of the cars out there have a busted, you know. It, it, no, they're, no, no, no. It's good. 40 it's years good. old, right? And so so you're operating in a shared space. And, the, and, 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 and yes, we all want to get somewhere. Yes, we all want to have a fancy ride. But more importantly, or in, in my view, we want to end road fatalities and serious injuries, right? So, I mean, I, I often joke with my family, I can't wait for the robots. And congestion and pollution. And congestion, and, yes. And hold on, and anxiety. Um, all those things that put a person in a car. We want to enrich their journey. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and and it's, it's dangerous if one vehicle manufacturer has a different view of the road than another vehicle manufacturer, because you can bet they're on their own maps. They're on their well, proprietary maps. But there is one. No, there is one. It's called Tesla. And and that's why now they're changing. No, they had the right, but they don't anymore. So if you look at that, you, you said it better. Tesla had their own idea and they launched it. And now it's happening. They're changing. I mean, today they announced they're bringing, they're finally bringing in a LiDAR based, which is, we, I know we call it radar, but it's because he thought he could drive the car with computer vision only, which is my background. And there's no way he could. So now he's putting it. But my point is, he could do what he wanted. And he had one vision, not anymore. We're all coming together and saying, oh, well, this car can do that. And now that's still a problem. But I think what's going to happen is they are going to do what you say. They're going to have to do what the consumer wants in the end. But it's not. Okay. So, yeah, I think they're going to want to have to do what the consumer wants. But is the consumer thinking of every other consumer? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I what I'm, about, right? I, I'm thinking about my ride. I'm thinking about my experience as a driver or passenger. That's why, the vehicle. To, that's why it has to be open tech and has to be um, very. Th- right. That's easy. That's the easy oh. part, I think. Um, so the hard if, part is if, all if in Tesla there. is collecting all this great data on our roads, right? Are they sharing that with the stewards of our transportation infrastructure? No. No. Why not? No. Because they don't have to. They don't because have to. What? I know. And you just made a point. But if they did. Oh, no, but they're going they to. Hold on. What did they just start sharing, guys? Their EV charger network. Mm-hmm. They said you could only use on the chargers if you're a Tesla. Why? They wanted to own the market. You couldn't break into it. And that meant that Tesla's driver had to do what they say. And then the government came along and said, if you want access to President Biden's funding, you must share your charge. They're shared now. 
That's the big news every day. Look at this car parked in Tesla area. No, no, no. That is happening. And I think that's coming next. Data. There you if go. you want to go on my roads, if you want to drive on my roads, thank you, province of Ontario, whatever you want to call it, I want the data. Or we, we make a deal. And then that data becomes valuable. So there's the path forward. Well, again, you are the two tech guys. I'm not the tech guy. And I'm still kind of confused about what's really going on here. You guys are talking tech, 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 tech. And I'm not quite there. So let me ask a question. Okay. So you're saying that, you know, Google, for example, owns Waze. And they're yeah. collecting all kinds of data uh, for all the Waze users. Uh, Apple Maps, any vehicle that has GPS capability, they're collecting data. So what you're saying is that they're collecting all this data and it's all proprietary. And nobody is looking at a way to take all this data, all these analytics, put it into one bucket and then interpret this information to the, for the benefit and the convenience of everybody. Have I got that right? I think you've got it right. Okay. Right. Now, now, it's not that nobody's doing it. I think we're trying to do it. It's a tough battle. Right. We're, it's a tough battle and we're doing it. But, but you, you, I mean, the, the basics are there. It's this proprietary data sets that if everyone had their own specialized personal view of the transportation infrastructure, which by the way, only one exists, it's there. If everyone had their own view of it, then first of all, it's only available at cost to that proprietary, the highest bidder. And there's a big safety problem here because now two different vehicles have the different perspectives of what's actually in front of them, putting lives at risk. Um, it, it has so many down, downstream terrible effects, but you're right. If everyone, if we found a way, and I don't know, we, we have that way yet, but if we found a way that the stewards of that infrastructure could also become the stewards of the digital infrastructure, aren't we now talking about a unified digital twin of our transportation system? There well, we mean, go. That's, that's exactly what they want to build. Now I, now, they don't want to, they don't want to institute it till after they build it. Now they I build it twin and say, let's go to the site. What? What, Alan? <laughs> now I understand. Okay. The next question is what, Arif, are you doing about it? Right. And we are working on two aspects. We're trying to help out the stewards that manage this infrastructure understand the benefits of doing this sort of thing, of sharing it. Because a lot of folks still hold it to their chest. They don't want to let it go for a number of reasons, right? But that's progress. We're making progress in that. The second thing is that we're providing, hey, I'm a software company, right? So we're providing technology to streamline that process so that the managers of that information can offer it up to humans, machines, autonomous vehicles, sidewalk robots, it doesn't matter. But we're providing that facility so that anybody can access this unified digital twin. That's what we're doing. You are a giant arbitrator. Sure. <laughs> Have we covered everything? Um, yeah, I, I, no, no, you can't cover everything. Um, but um, look, I mean, this is the number one issue in our lives, not because health, we talk about health, we talk, I've always said this guys, if we can't move anywhere, don't build nice new buildings, don't build nice new parks, don't build anything, because we're not getting there. So if you can't build the infrastructure to support it, and it's, we move, I'm not su suggesting we all drive, that we're walking, you've got the, the, you've got the line being built in Saudi Arabia, that's gonna be walking and bikes. Okay. It doesn't have to be 
cars. But what I am saying, this stops everything. <laughs> so it's a big, it's a, it's a big challenge, not a problem. It's a big challenge. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Upcoming programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. If you want our website, it's thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.